0: Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Dave, from Chase the Summit. If you're here, you probably knew that. Boy, do we have a feature-packed episode today. I've got a lot to talk about. It's been a crazy past couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, I'm going to spill all the beans in this episode today. Before we dive in, I want to do a quick shout-out, quick thank you to the Patreon members and YouTube members that make all of this a reality. Uh, by supporting me on Patreon or YouTube, you you actively help to allow me to do this weird thing that's uh, making content or whatever, whatever we call it. I, I hate the word influencer or YouTuber or any of those. I like the word content creator. That makes me feel like I've got um, a real job or something. I don't know. Anyways, I want to thank y'all out there, Patreon and YouTube members. You've uh, really helped me out over the past year. And uh, thank you. If you want to help support me, drop down into the show notes and click on the link. Uh, Another quick plug for the merch store, if you want a Chase the Summit trucker hat, I've got a couple of the Sunset hats left, and I've got a bunch of the Ridgeline trucker hats in stock, so check out the links below for for that. And finally, I've got one more link for you over to Path Projects to uh, take a look at the Chase the Summit collab tee I worked with them on, which I'm very excited about. Okay, enough of the plugging, Dave. Let's get into the real, the real meat and potatoes of this episode. That's a weird way to say it, but I said it already and there's no editing in this podcast. So meat and potatoes it is. So if you have been around the YouTube channel and the podcast for the past month or so, you may have heard me talk about uh, my trip out to the Western States 100 endurance race. Well, I came, I went, I conquered, I didn't really conquer anything. I didn't run the race, but I did go out to California and I was able to spectate at the Western States 100. And it was one hell of an experience. And that's really what this whole podcast is going to be about today. The entire experience of going out there. If you're a uh, YouTube subscriber or you've been watching my videos, you have seen that my past three videos are kind of vlogs from out in California, California at the Western States 100. If you haven't seen those yet, go check them out. But uh, those are kind of short. So they're only like eight minutes to 15 minutes long. And I feel like there's so many other details I want to talk about, which is what I'm going to do in this podcast today. So if you're unaware, the reason why I was out there, this was actually kind of a weird situation. So the brand Hoka that makes shoes and running apparel They contacted me like a couple of months ago and they invited me to be like part of their media team at the Western States 100. The idea being that I'm out there to film and create content around the race and then share that on my YouTube channel, which does create some visibility for the race and the brand Hoka. It's a net positive for everybody, including me, who gets a free ride out to California. You know, all expenses paid kind of thing. I'm very transparent about that. I don't want any, um, you know, anybody to think that you know, I paid this out of my pocket. I the only reason I was there is because they invited me and they footed the bill. So um, I didn't say no to that. Uh, it sounds pretty cool. And also, I've been like a long time uh, spectator and enthusiast about the Western states, but living on the East Coast makes kind of difficult to uh, be a fan of that race or or go visit at least. Um, But this experience as a whole, like every aspect of it, from being at the race to meeting people in the industry, to talking with like Hoka reps, to dealing with the PR people, it was all amazing. These people are like saints. Uh, Everyone was so nice. It was so weird to be, I don't know, like it's their job you know, they're working and I felt like this is their job. So they probably get sick of it or whatever, but they were very authentic and they were genuinely having a good time. And it was just a great experience overall. So, um, if you're unaware of what Western States is, let's go back in time and talk about what is Western States and why was I there? Why was it? Why is it such a big deal? The Western States Endurance Race is one of the most iconic trail ultramarathons on the planet that runs through a variety of terrain from high country, technical, rocky stuff, to buffed out roads and pavement. It stretches over 100 miles from the Lake Tahoe region in Olympic Valley in California to Auburn, California, and it climbs over 18,000 feet of elevation gain over that distance. And this race is known for its incredibly rugged sections in the high country, but mainly the reason why this race is so hard is because of the weather. The weather out there is incredibly hot and dry, and just my short time being there, uh, I witnessed temperatures exceeding 99 degrees Fahrenheit in the shade. It was incredibly hot, super hot temperatures, so it's really amazing to watch some of these athletes move so fast in this kind of you know weather, in, in this humid, or not humid, but super hot environment. It's like an oven. So, uh, Western States started back in 1974 when a man named Gordy Ansley decided to run this route on foot after it had only ever previously been done before on horseback. This was originally a horse trail, and cowboys, were, I think it was cowboys, would ride this trail with their horses. Gordy decided to do this on foot. He was successful in his attempt, and now years later, it's become one of the most famous routes in the United States and even the planet. It's, it's worldwide renowned for being uh, one of the most iconic trail runs on the planet. Runners travel from all over the world to experience Western states and put themselves to the test in this ultra-competitive ultramarathon. In this year, in 2022, Hoka was kind enough to invite me, little old me, out to spectate at the race firsthand. So in this podcast, I'm going to run through all of the days that led up to the race, and then we'll dive really deep into race day. Okay, so let's talk day one. Uh, this was a travel day, so I'm not going to go too deep on it. But I do want to like paint a picture for this whole experience on how tired I got by the end of this trip, because it was like, go, go, go. So the morning of my flight, my five-year-old actually had his preschool graduation, and I really didn't want to miss this. I actually ended up switching my flight to a later time just so I could make it to his graduation. Uh, so that morning we had my five-year-old's graduation. I ended up leaving right in the middle of the graduation. Unfortunately, I had to leave uh, to drive directly to Boston to catch my flight at Logan Airport um, out in the morning. I was on the plane for like eight hours. We had a layover in Chicago, and I landed in uh, Sacramento, California at 7 p.m. That's where I met uh, one of the first people from the PR department. They actually picked me up, and they were kind of like our handlers while we were there. Uh, so we drove from Sacramento Airport to Auburn, California. And Auburn is uh, the fi- where the finish line for the Western States 100 is but Auburn is also closer to the airport. So we decided to stay there for the night. So we met up for dinner with um, the other people that were along for this trip. It was a pretty interesting spread of, spread of people on this trip. So there were three PR people, uh, two from a PR company, and then one directly from Hoka. There were three writers, and these people are super, super cool. There was uh, a guy named Brian there who's kind of like an icon in the trail running space. He's written for a bunch of magazines and stuff. Um, got to meet him and hang out with him for a few days. Um, there are two more writers. And then there were also two YouTubers, including myself uh, and Ryan Clayton. What's super cool about Ryan is I've been talking with Ryan for like a couple of years over the internet. We've uh, done a couple of podcasts together and live streams and stuff. Uh, I considered him a friend even before this trip. And we've never met in person. So it was like really cool to be able to meet him and hang out with him for a few days, get to know him. Uh, but when I first met him at dinner the, on, the, on the first day, it was kind of like a shock. Like, oh, this is a dude I know from the Internet. And he's sitting right in front of me right now. It was so weird. Um, but the other weird thing is just how big he is in person. He's like six foot two. <laughs> and like you don't pick that up from videos like you don't get the scale. Um, but yeah, he's a huge guy. <laughs> And I'm a small guy. I'm like five foot six on a good day. So he's like a full foot taller than me. And we were hanging out all week. It was just like so weird uh, that he was just so much bigger. And it's not something you, you, it's like, you don't get that perspective from a video that makes any sense. So day one, we slept in Auburn, California at a hotel. Uh, And then day two, uh, we actually were given all of our swag. So Hoka really hooked everybody up on this trip. They gave us this like giant bag of shorts and shirts and um, camelback apparel. Uh, They gave us a hydration vest and a handheld water bottle and a canteen. And also on top of all this, I'm talking like, they they gave me like 10, maybe 12 shirts, three pairs of shorts, hydration vests, everything. And on top of that, they also gave us a brand new pair of Hoka Tecton X trail running shoes. And these shoes are actually pretty incredible. So they're they're a real nice um rugged trail runner, but they also have a carbon plate in the midsole, so they make it makes them feel really fast. And what's interesting about these is you know, typically I wear ultra shoes or a wider kind of shoe. And you know, in the past I've tried some Hoka's, but they've always been a little narrow for my foot but the Tecton X was actually wide enough for my foot. I found it to be pretty comfortable. I ended up wearing it the entire trip, not only trail running, but just like around town and stuff because I brought like a ratty old pair of ultra shoes in my bag. It was actually kind of funny. I got off the plane and I showed up in ultras and the PR guy was like, dude, why are you wearing ultras It's a Hoka trip? That just shows how naive I am. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. But they hooked me up with a bunch of stuff bunch of Hoka gear, Hoka shoes. It was pretty awesome. Um I was not expecting the amount of stuff. Fun fact, I only went, I only flew to California with a carry-on. So I had my backpack and I also had a carry-on duffel bag and uh I barely I barely had enough space in my duffel bag to get everything back. I almost had to buy some luggage to pack all this stuff in because of the amount they gave me. Fortunately, I was able to like wrestle it into the bag and like lay bear hug it and just barely zip it up to be able to get it in the duffel bag to get back on the plane to bring home. Uh, So that was fun. (laughs) So after uh, we got the swag hookup, we had some breakfast and stuff, and then we went on a six mile run on the Western States course. So we ran from the high school track where the finish line is at Western States. Uh, We ran from there all the way to No Hands Bridge which is like one of the last big uh, milestones or landmarks along the trail before you get to the finish line. It's this really cool bridge that goes over a river. So we ran three miles in, three miles out on the trail, and man, it was so cool to be on the Western States Trail. Like I've seen documentaries, I've watched that that YouTube documentary um, Unbreakable like a bunch of times. So to see some of these like sites in person firsthand was just so cool. And then when we got back to the Auburn high school track, they're actually setting up the uh, finish line and the tents and everything. So the, the stoke and excitement was starting to, to creep up and you could see, you could kind of feel the whole community starting to get a little bit more electric in. Yeah. Super cool. So after the shakeout run in the morning, we packed up our stuff and we got in the car to travel all the way to the Lake Tahoe region to Olympic Valley. Now, Olympic Valley is where the starting line is for this race, and it's so interesting because Olympic Valley, like the base of it, is at 6,000 feet of elevation gain, where Auburn, California is basically at sea level. So Auburn was like super hot. It was like 100 degrees in the shade uh, that morning, but then when we got to Tahoe, it was at 6,000 feet of elevation gain, so it was actually kind of chilly when we got there. It was down in like the 60s. And at night in Tahoe, um, it actually dropped into like the 30s, uh, 40s. So it was pretty chilly there, Uh, even though it did warm up throughout the day. It was just like a whole different climate compared to being in Auburn. So in Olympic Valley, we stayed at a hotel called the Plump Jack, which was actually super cool. So if you're unaware, the Olympic Valley has this like big ski area called Palisades, which was previously the home of the Olympics way back in the day. And now it's a ski area in like kind of tourist attraction. And within there, there's a whole bunch of shops like a North Face, Patagonia. Um, there's a bunch of restaurants and stuff and a couple of hotels, including our hotel, the Plump Jack. So we were like, you know, maybe 10, 20 meters away from the starting line at our hotel, which was super cool. Real convenient location. Once we checked into our hotel and got our stuff situated, uh, we all met up for lunch in this was a uh, kind of a shock for me. We were having lunch with the professional Hoka athletes, which included Adam Peterman, uh, Hayden Hawks, and a bunch of other people. We got to meet them and eat lunch with them at a Mexican place. Uh, sitting across the table from Hayden Hawks was kind of like, I was a little starstruck. He's a dude that I've like idolized for years. And here he was like eating tacos across the table from here. It was really really kind of interesting. It also made me kind of wonder, I had a a bit of imposter syndrome, like why am I here? Why do I deserve this? It was was kind of a system shock for me. Also during this lunchtime was uh, my opportunity to meet uh, Reggie and Myra, who are two Hoka-sponsored athletes, and they were super cool. It was really nice to meet them and learn their story on how they arrived at Western States. Uh, The whole experience was really kind of mind-blowing. Uh, meeting all of these kind of icons in the sport. And then after lunch, we went outside and there was sort of like a media slash interview time uh, where there was people like uh, The Running Warehouse and I Run Far had some uh, media reps there. I got to chat with Camille Heron for a little bit, who's one of the leaders in the women's uh, side of things. And I got to talk to Adam Peterman for a few minutes, who was just like a super nice guy. And we'll circle back to him a, later, a little later in this podcast. And I'm sure you know why by, by now. Honestly, during the media time and interview stuff, I got like really uncomfortable because I'm not great at interviewing people in person. And I think uh, the PR people that we were with kind of expected that, you know, Ryan and I would want to get some video of talking to the athletes, but I was pretty timid and kind of laid back a little bit. And uh, I did talk to a couple like Adam and and Camille, like I said, but I I didn't do anything official. I didn't have like a script or questions I was going to ask them. I just kind of floated around. It was pretty cool though, to see these people just out in the wild. So after the media time, we got dinner and then we all retired to our hotel rooms because we're all pretty tired and we got some sleep. Now on day three, it was probably my favorite of the whole trip, even though it wasn't race day. For selfish reasons, it was my favorite because I got a lot of running in, in the Lake Tahoe region on the Western States trail. It was beautiful. So we participated in this thing called the Hoka High Camp Challenge. And like I said at the beginning of this podcast, if you haven't checked out the video on this yet, go check it out. I'll link it in the show notes down below. Um, The High Camp Challenge was really cool. So basically, it's the first big climb of the Western States course condensed into a free race that Hoka puts on. And you you can register in person. They give you a bib, it's like official. And everyone starts at the starting line of the Western States, which is really cool because you get to run through the Western stage archway as if you're actually taking part of the real race. So the High Camp Challenge climbs up the first huge climb, which is like, I think it's a little over two miles and like 2,400 feet of gain which is a lot in a short amount of distance. And it's basically a power hike to the top, but there were some elite athletes there that, that crushed it, including a guy that worked for Hoka, this guy, Sam, who was like super chill, super nice. And he was very humble. Like he didn't even say what kind of athlete he was, but I did, I did mention him. I did hear him mention talking about like a 14 or 15 minute 5k. So I was like, Oh man, this guy's fast. But when we were in the high camp challenge, Ryan and I were like basically power hiking to the top. And this guy, Sam friggin won the whole thing. He won the race. He did it in like 27 minutes. It took me like 40 minutes to get to the top. Uh, but that was like super fun. And the best part about the high camp challenge is after you climb to the top, you have a couple of options. You can have some free pancakes, which they had up there. They served panca- pancakes with whipped butter and syrup And um, they actually offer you a ride back down on the tramway. They have like a wire-guided tramway that runs from the top to the bottom. So you can just do the run up, eat some pancakes, and then ride back down. However, Ryan and I decided to treat this a little differently. So we did eat pancakes. We used it as like a eight station, basically. And then we continued running on the Western States course we went up and over the escarpment which is the the first uh peak of the course. If you run up the big hill, you get to the top, that's the escarpment, and then you go down the other side to continue on the course. We went out a total of 6 miles and then we turned around and came back and climbed back up and over and ran back down to the bottom for a total of 12 miles. Those 12 miles were so magical. That course, the that area like the trails in that area are just so beautiful and ah, man i was like in heaven the trails are like buffed out they weren't super technical but they had like a little bit of tech to them so it was like just enough to keep it exciting i feel like i couldn't turn my camera off because there were snow covered peaks all over all around us there was snow where we were and the high point on that hill climb was about nine thousand feet of elevation, and it was just enough to start feeling the effects of the low oxygen like i wasn't i obviously was not on top of uh, Mount Everest, but because I live at sea level, my body could totally feel that altitude um, in a negative way, but it was also kind of a rush to be able to be up in the high country and kind of feel what the runners would feel on race day and when you drop down the other side from the escarpment onto the trip and continue on the trail it is so beautiful back there. It's so like pristine, untouched uh, Tahoe region goodness. And from the top, you can actually see Lake Tahoe and all of its beauty in the distance. And man, if you live in California or you're near that area, you need to visit because it's got to be some of the best the best trail running in the in the United States. I was having a blast out there. I felt like I couldn't turn my camera off because everywhere you look was just like pure beauty. It was magical. So after the high camp challenge, um, Ryan and I went back to our hotel rooms and both of us ended up, I I thought I was gonna take a nap because man, I was so wiped out. I was waking up and my Garmin body battery was telling me I was like body battery of like 10, 15 every day, just was not sleeping enough. And I was like running around all day, every day. Uh, So I was pretty wiped out. I went back to my hotel room and I was like, I'm gonna take a nap for like two hours before dinner. But I ended up actually editing a video from the day before and posting that on YouTube from my hotel room because it was kind of fun to post daily vlogs about this. Just it felt more authentic to post a daily vlog rather than like one big video about the whole experience. So I was doing these quick turn edits every day in my hotel room and it took a lot of time. I mean, these these videos are hard to put together Um, and we'll talk more on that when we get to race day because the race day video was really hard to put together, and I we'll talk about that in a minute. But overall, uh, the High Camp Challenge was such a blast. That run was amazing. It was really the high point of my trip. I felt like, I, you know, selfish reasons just being able to run out there was so nice. So that night, we went to bed fairly early because we had a big day the next day for the Western States Endurance Race Race Day. On the morning of race day, we woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning. You heard me right. 3am. It really sucked <laughs> to wake up at that time. Uh, we had to pack all of our bags and be ready to move out of the hotel because we weren't coming back to Tahoe once the race started because we we're going to be following the race, the lead, the lead pack of the race, uh, the whole way back to Auburn. So we packed up all of our stuff. Like I said, Hoka hooked me up with a bunch of swag, which was a real pain to get back in my duffel bag. So I was dealing with that in the morning we, we grabbed a quick breakfast. There was like muffins and coffee and stuff, um, near the starting line. And then we hung around the starting line, which was like pure electric. Just everybody so excited to get moving people, putting their bibs on and like shaking out. And, um, yeah, everyone just kind of, the buzz was alive. There was hundreds of runners, but there was also hundreds of spectators at the starting line. And I positioned myself kind of up on a hill and had my really long uh, telephoto lens on to get a shot of the runners coming out of the gate, which was super cool. And when the countdown timer hit zero, the runners took off and everyone's screaming and shaking cowbells and yeah, it was amazing. But the really funny part was after the runners left and they start climbing up the hill, how quiet Olympic Valley got. You could basically hear a pin drop after the runners left. It was like all that excitement traveled away with the runners and like the Olympic Valley just kind of went back to being Olympic Valley. <laughs> it was it was really weird. It got so quiet and yeah, pretty pretty interesting. So after all the runners left, we quickly went back to our hotel rooms, grabbed our gear, started loading up the cars and saddled up for a very long day. So the first stop we decided was that we we're going to go to Robinson Flat which is at about mile 30 of the Western States Endurance Run. And we had to be really strategic about which aid stations we were gonna stop at along the race, because logistically, it's really hard to get around this course. Robinson Flat was way out there. It was like a two hour car drive from the starting line to Robinson Flat. And then when we got there, we actually had to park our car and then get in a bus, like a school bus, to shuttle up to the actual aid station. And the aid station itself was kind of perched up high, like between mountains. So the road getting up there was like super narrow and this windy mountain road with like a 100 foot fall off on either side of the road. And here we are in a big school bus just navigating this really precarious road up to the aid station. It was kind of sketchy. I I remember looking out the window and just seeing this huge drop down the side of a cliff to the bottom of the valley but it was beautiful up there. Uh, you know, really crisp air. It was getting warm out, but just beautiful Lake Tahoe region stuff. And ah, man, the views were incredible up there. And here's where another huge highlight of the trip came in. I got to meet Tommy Rives. I was out there at the aid station kind of framing up my shot. We were all waiting for the runners to come in. So I'm out there with my camera on the course, kind of just aiming it around and making sure my exposure is right and the settings are all good. And I look over and I see a guy with a beard um with a camera. So he's got like a big telephoto lens camera. Um and I'm like that couldn't be him. And I couldn't believe it. It was Tommy Poozy or Tommy Rives. And if you don't know who Tommy is, he's an, an elite ultra marathon runner who also battled incredibly difficult cancer that he ended up in a induced coma for months and had a bunch of surgeries and barely got away alive. And his story is truly inspirational and incredible. He's like an idol of mine. You know, I watch him on my treadmill on the iFit videos. He's like a uh, Nordic uh, Nordic track athlete. So he's in all of the iFit videos when you go up on your treadmill. And my wife and I have been following his story very intently this whole time. So to meet this guy in person, I was like, full out starstruck. I didn't even know what to say to him because we had a quick conversation. I was just like, dude, I love you. <laughs> it, was, it was probably really awkward from his side. But I was like, dude, yeah, I love you. Your story's so inspirational. And, uh, you know, I love your iFit stuff. And I basically said all that. And it was really embarrassing. But I also took a selfie with him which is in the video from race day, if you happen to see that little clip. Uh, but yeah, he was doing photography for somebody. I don't know who, uh, but he was out there on the course, just kind of hanging out. And we talked for like 10 or 15 minutes. He was super friendly and he gets approached all the time. So it was really nice of him to take some time to actually talk to me. So um, we were we were up there for a while before any runners actually came through. And the first person to come through was Ludovic Pomeray, who is a French, I think he's French-Canadian, Hoka uh, athlete. And he was looking like he was struggling a little bit. Like he was, he was looking strong and he was obviously in first place overall. So that's a good thing. But he, he was looking a little bit fatigued at this point. And it's probably because it started to warm up now. And shortly behind Ludo uh, was Hayden Hawks, who was my pick. I thought he was going to win the whole thing. He was looking really strong. And at Robinson, he was looking incredibly strong. He was looking like unfazed, kind of just chilling, running uphill. He was running up the hill instead of hiking it. I could barely keep up with the guy. And he had just ran 30 miles and I my legs were fresh. I was just trying to chase him with a camera and he was crushing it. After that, a few other men came in. And then the first woman came through who was Emily Hoggood, I believe. And she was looking really strong as well. We hung around at Robinson for like, I want to say maybe an hour, maybe two hours. Um, And then we decided we were going to move on to the next aid station, which was Forest Hill. Now, Forest Hill was at mile 62, I want to say. So we had some time. Uh, We decided to stop off at like a grocery store and grab some lunch. We did that, grabbed a sandwich. Um, and some drinks cause everyone was incredibly dehydrated at this point from just go, 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 and not really focusing on ourselves. Uh, and then after that we moved on to Forest Hill and this is where it got really, really hot. So the Forest Hill aid station is obviously in Forest Hill, California, which is kind of like a nothing town. It seemed like the population there was like probably 30 people or, <laughs> or something. It was like this little downtown area with some shops, like a restaurant, a bar, and a few other things. And then outside of that was just kind of like the outskirts of Forest Hill, which were like just residential areas. But the aid station here was kind of a hot spot, a lot of people hanging around, everyone's crews getting ready for their runners to come in. And this is also where um, they could pick, the runners could pick up their first pacer. So there was all these pacers there putting on their bibs and getting warmed up and stuff. So there was a lot of buzz and excitement going on at Forest Hill. Now, This is where it got really hot though. In Forest Hill, I want to say the temperature was like 99 or hundred degrees Fahrenheit. It was blazing hot in the sun was killing me here. I was like sunburning left and right. Uh, but you know, I had to suck it up because I can't really complain when I wasn't actually running the race. I was like tired and hot and you know, wanted to lay down, but I wasn't even running. Just imagine actually running. So here at Forest Hill, we hung around for the first, the leader pack to come through. For the men, the first guy to come through was Hayden Hawks. So he took the lead somewhere between Robinson and Forest Hill. Um, And then for the women, it was really cool. Ruth Croft and, and Ilsa McDonald actually came in hand in hand. They were side by side, chatting it up, having a good time. It was really cool to see them. Uh, not be so competitive. They looked like they were just kind of friends going out on a run, but they came in fast. And the cool thing about Forest Hill was that they had this like wash down area for the runners where aid station workers run out with a bunch of sponges and buckets and basically just douse you in ice covered water and and rub you down with sponges and try to cool you off because it was so hot here. And this was a scene that I had only seen in documentaries and YouTube videos and stuff like Jim Walmsley's videos. It was cool to be there in person and see that like washdown station in action. These people are just getting totally remember the ice bucket challenge? That's basically what it looked like over and over again. Runners would come in and the workers would just dump ice and water over their heads and then the runners would just keep on moving. And I got to say it was really eye-opening to watch some of these athletes come through Forest Hill because the exit to Forest Hill Eight station is a downhill stretch of pavement. And these people were just hammering the gas down this section. I think uh, Hayden Hawks was dropping like a six minute mile out of Forest Hill. And you got to remember, this guy had just run 62 miles. And he's dropping a six minute pace down a paved section in this part of the course, which was mind blowing to watch. It was really incredible. And the, and at Forest Hill was the first glimpse that we got of Adam Peterman. Now Adam was kind of like the dark horse because he's a Spoker uh, Hoka sponsored athlete, <clears throat> which is a privilege and obviously means he's a really good runner. But this was his first hundred mile ultra marathon. Now keep that in mind as I go through this story. So Adam Peterman was about I think it was three minutes behind Hayden at this point. So he was gaining a lot of ground quickly. And he was looking really strong. He was like joking around with his pacer. He was just having casual conversation. And he's kind of a goofy guy. He's really fun to watch. But at this point at Forest Hill, everyone was like, oh, dang, look at Adam Peterman crushing it. And he was looking really strong. So everyone started to keep an eye on him. Now, after Forest Hill, we hung around there for quite a while. um, I think maybe an hour or two hours watching runners come in and out and getting some footage. And then we decided to move on. So from Forest Hill, we moved on to Rocky Chucky, which is the water crossing, the river crossing um, at the bottom of one of the canyons. So the first one through uh, Rocky Chucky was Adam Peterman. Like I said, he was looking strong at Forest Hill and he was out in the lead at Rocky Chucky in overall first place. And he was looking really good. He flew through the aid station basically dived into the water at Rocky Chucky. And what's interesting about Rocky Chucky is some years, if the water is too high, they make you take a boat, like an inflatable um, raft across with a person. Uh, and then other years when the water's lower, they allow the runners to wade across it. This year, the water was low enough. So they ended up running across and it seemed like they really enjoyed it because of how hot it was. They were just dropping their entire bodies into the river and like swimming. And really trying to trying to cool down before they had to get back out in the butt kicker here is right after you get out of the river, there's an immediate climb straight up a hill. So it was really w- interesting to watch them like go through the water and then just start climbing right away. So after that, we saw after Adam went through Rocky Chucky, we saw Hayden Hawks go through and he was only I want to say he was like three or four minutes behind Adam. Like as soon as Adam got in the water, we could hear people cheer- cheering for Hayden up at the aid station, which is like a little ways up from the actual water crossing. So they were still really close together here at Rocky Chucky, which is a mile 80 just about. With only 20 miles left to the race, they're they're still kind of neck and neck. So after that, we we really wanted to hang around at Rocky Chucky to see the, the women come through. Unfortunately, we were pretty strapped for time because we had to get back to the finish line to prepare for the leader pack to come through there. So we ended up packing up uh, pretty early, from the water crossing and starting to drive to Auburn to get to the high school track uh, to see the finishers come in. Now, here's the magical spot of this whole race, the high school track. Holy crap, man. This whole experience led up to the high school track where like the whole town of Auburn, California, basically rallies around this race. There were hundreds of people in the bleachers and out on the field and just lining the track, waiting for the first place runner to come through. And it was like electric. I was getting goosebumps just kind of waiting around for the first runners to come in. So we hung around the the high school track and kind of took in the vibe a little bit, but the runners weren't coming in for a while. So we decided to get some lunch. We also, I forgot to mention this whole time, had media passes, which were crucial for creating content around this race because a media pass actually allows you to get into the aid stations around the actual runners. Otherwise, you're kind of stuck behind roped off areas. So it was cool to have like exclusive access to where the runners were coming in. And um, even at the track, if you had a media pass, you could be behind the finish line. And you can also be in the media tent, which is right by the finish line, which is great because otherwise you're kind of stuck in a big crowd of people and it's really hard to get a good shot with a camera when you're stuck in a big crowd of people. So very thankful to have those media passes. So we got lunch, or I think it was lunch, (coughs) whatever it was, it was food. uh, In Auburn, it was actually really good. We got like some vegan uh, tacos and stuff, downtown in Auburn. And then we walked back to the track and waited for the first runners to come in. And then we actually decided to hike up to uh, the top of the hill before they come into the high school which is actually, uh, mile 99 and mile 99 is special here in Auburn because the whole community, yes, they're all hanging out at the track, but there's also a huge group of people that hangs out in the suburban area at mile 99. And they basically have a pie, uh, like a big party here. They had a TV with the live stream of the Western States playing and they had like drinks and stuff and a bunch of people hanging around and everyone's just waiting for these first runners to come in. So, we start to hear the rumbles. We st- we're, at- we're hanging out at mile 99, and we start to hear some clapping and cheering, and around the corner comes Adam Peterman in first place, and he is looking so freaking strong, it is ridiculous. This guy just ran 99 miles, and he looks like he just got out of the car to run like a 5k or something. He was in great spirits, l- laughing, high-fiving people, just looked really good at this point. And he's at mile 99 at the Western States 100. So everybody's like rallying around him and cheering him and running him in. And it was really cool. I think he ran in with his dad who was right next to him the whole time, which is like, I don't know, the whole thing was just like magic. I can't even imagine how epic this moment must have been for Adam. So I started to run with Adam to get some footage of him coming through mile 99. And then Ryan Clayton, myself, and some of the other people that were there decided to peel off from him and take a shortcut back to the track. Because honestly, he was running too fast for me to keep up with. And I wanted to be in a position where I could get like a good angle of him coming through the gates and onto the track. So we ran down a side street, kind of came in the back side of the track, ran down the bleachers and over to the entrance. And we managed to get him coming through the gate with his whole crew of people. He came through Big smile on his face, super stoked, high-fiving people as he ran around the track, and then he came through the finish line, grabbed that tape, and cheered, and just the place electric exploded and cheering and clapping. Everyone was so excited for Adam. He was all smiles. He looked really good. Uh, it was a beautiful moment. I think he finished in 15 hours, 13 seconds, I think was the uh, 15 hours, 13 minutes, I think was his time on the, on the total time on the course, which is a really respectable time. Uh, really incredible that this was his first 100 mile ultra marathon, like mind blowing. So after he finished, they do an interview with all of the top 10 men and women separately. So uh, Dylan Bowman and Corinne came out to do their post race interview with him. And I think the best quote from him was when he was talking about passing Aiden, uh, Hayden Hawks to, uh, drop into first place, how ultra marathons are kind of funny because when you pass somebody, it's like an old man race because everyone's moving so slow out there, even the elites, because it's such a long race that when you pass somebody, you're not like flying by them. You're basically like yo-yoing them until the point that you break off from them and kind of move away slowly. So he joked about how it was like an old man race. And I thought that was really funny. He had a great sense of humor, even after running a hundred miles and, uh, he was looking really good. However, one thing I left out of the video entirely was, uh, it was really funny and I hope he doesn't mind me talking about it. But Adam, after he was interviewed, he looked so good. I was like, how's this guy look so good. And he started to walk away and go over to the tents where he was going to chill and, you know, probably rehydrate and try to get his bearings together. Um, He got like halfway to the tents before he bent over and just started vomiting all over the track. (laughs) I felt so bad for him, he he puked a lot. He was throwing up all over the place, Um, but he composed himself, pulled himself back together, kind of laughed about it a little bit, and then he kept walking over to the tents. So about 30 minutes after Adam Peterman finished, came second place male, Uh, Hayden Hawks came through the gate and ran his victory lap. He actually looked really strong as well just a little bit slower than Adam this time around. But he did this really funny, like, football end zone, uh, football spike with his water bottles when he came through the finish line. He smashed them on the ground to the point where they broke, and he was just, like, super excited that he finally made it to the finish line. And it was a big moment for him because he had just beat his own personal record by a lot, and he just had came in second place at Western States, which is a huge deal. So he was very proud of himself. And in his post-race interview... He was funny, too, because he was talking about how Adam was kind of the underdog and he was talking about how he he really progressed a lot um, since last year and how they're good friends and stuff. And It's just cool to see the competitiveness. I mean, these guys are super competitive, don't get me wrong, but they're also friends and it really shows in the, the way they present themselves. No one ever trashes each other. Everyone's so nice and humble. And it was really cool to see that in Hayden's post-race interview. So after Hayden came through, uh, the best, I think the most intense finish was for third place men's, uh, was Tyler Green in Arlen Glick. And they basically, they were on the track at the same time, which is rare, at an ultra marathon of this length to be finishing almost exactly the same time. It was really cool to see, and Arlene Glick came through the finish line, and then Tyler Green came through with his wife, and he like collapsed after the finish and laid on the ground, and his wife was trying to get his shoes off and stuff. It was really quite an epic finish. Then we hung around, uh, and we actually got to see the first place woman come in, who was Ruth Croft, and her finish was hilarious. First of all, she looked incredibly strong. She ran the third fastest time in 49 years at this race which is something to be incredibly proud of and she looked unfazed like i know she got her butt kicked it's a long race but from my perspective she looked like really fresh really good and the way she came in was too funny she had her crew had dressed up in like inflatable dinosaur costumes and they they raced her they chased her around the track wearing these d- dinosaur costumes It was hilarious, but I also felt really bad for the people in the costumes because it was like 100 degrees out and they're wearing these like plastic bags over their heads in the form of dinosaur costumes. But it was really funny and Ruth thought it was really funny, too. She was like clapping and looking back at them. And yeah, it was it was a great finish overall. After that, there were a couple of memorable moments like Adam Kimball came through. And he ran across the finish line with his baby daughter who couldn't be more than six months old. This little baby, he was holding her as he crossed the finish line. And the dad in me was like, oh, that's really sweet. Um, And that was really special for him as well. We were about to pack up and leave at this point because we had been awake for like 20 hours or something crazy. It was a really long day. We were so tired. We wanted to see more runners to come in. But honestly, I was barely functioning at this point. So we started to pack up our stuff. And head to the car. And that's right about when uh Ailsa McDonald came through, who was the second place woman, and she was running on the track. Unfortunately, I didn't I didn't take my camera out, so I didn't get any footage of her. But you know, big props to Ailsa McDonald because she looked great as well. And she wasn't far back from Ruth Croft. So after all that, we decided to pack up and head back to our hotel, which was at a uh comfort inn not too far from the, the finish line. I slept like a freaking log. I basically walked in my hotel room, uh, took a shower, a quick shower, almost passed out in there and then walked over to the bed and fell over like a, a tree blowing in the wind and just smashed down on the bed and like blacked out from then to about 9 a.m. the next day. So the next day when we woke up, we all kind of just did our own thing. We grabbed a Starbucks and kind of debriefed what happened the day before and um, just kind of had some final thoughts with each other before we had to head off to the airport. Unfortunately, we didn't have enough time to visit the track again to see more finishers come in because the real magic of this race is something called golden hour, which is the final hours before cutoff, before while the final racers come in. So there's people who come in at that 29, you know, 29, 30. They're out there for 29 hours running. And yeah, I mean, the leader, Adam Peterman, finishing this race in like 15 hours is really impressive. But also spending nearly 30 hours out on the trail is also impressive. So it's really cool to be there for Golden Hour and see these final finishers. Unfortunately, we didn't have time to do that because our flights were fairly early. We had to drive into Sacramento to get on the plane. So we did miss Golden Hour. But. Uh, If you're in the area during a Western States, make sure you do visit for golden hour. Travel home was kind of rough. My flight was about, I think it was like 1230 uh, in the afternoon. And unfortunately, you know, living in Boston, the time difference and everything, I didn't get home until about midnight. So I was traveling. I was on a plane the entire day. I got off my plane at midnight in Boston. And then I had to drive from the airport, Logan Airport, about 45 minutes north to my house. Uh, so again, I was totally wiped out by the time I got home and everybody, my whole family was asleep when I got home. So I got in, my uh, kids were sleeping with my wife in bed and it was kind of great. It was, it was kind of awesome to be able to crawl into bed and snuggle with my four-year-old after such a long time away. Um, you know, I'm not a big travel person, so being away this long is very different for me, especially after the pandemic. So getting home and getting back into the comfort of everyday life with my family was kind of a good feeling. Um, so yeah, uh, the trip was, the trip is, you know, the words can't even explain how much fun I had, uh, the magic that was out there. This was my first Western stakes experience and it's so different than every other ultra I've ever s- spectated or even ran in that it's such a big event. Like the whole community out there rallies for this race And you don't see that in the ultra community. Like you see that with the Boston Marathon or the Chicago Marathon, New York Marathon. All these road races have this huge, you know, this huge following. The community rallies around them. The community is proud to be the home of that race. And we don't really have that for ultra marathons. There's some big ones out there. You know, Here on the East Coast, we have Vermont. But to see Western states on this whole different level, Like there were, you know, school children, young kids riding bikes that all knew what Western States was and that were all out there cheering for runners to come in. And, you know, families, people that don't even run, people that don't participate in ultras, being there just to cheer people in and be part of the experience. It was so different for me. And it was really cool to see this side of ultra running. And I hope, you know, as the sport progresses, as it gets bigger and more people recognize it and see it as a real sport. My hope is that more of these races start to come to fruition and some of these older races like Vermont um start to turn into a more of a community thing because it was it was really magical. And I'm so thankful that I was able there to be there to to witness it firsthand. And you know, one more time in this podcast, I do want to thank Hoka for allowing me to take part in this opportunity. um, I felt I did not feel worthy and I hope uh, I hope the brand is happy with the content that I made around the race because I'm proud of it. And I just had such a good time being out there. It was a real amazing opportunity. And yeah, uh, thanks Hoka for, for making this a reality because it was just so cool. All right, friends, that's really the end of this podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed my reaccount of this whole experience uh, it was one heck of a thing, man. And I'm so glad I got to be out there for this. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you hit that follow button that's on your podcast platform of choice. Make sure you give me a five-star review on your Spotify's and Apple's. And make sure if you're listening on Apple to leave me a comment to let me know what you, what you think about my podcast. I hope you like it. One final shout out for the merch store. If you want to pick up a uh, Chase the Summit trucker hat, check that out. And finally, I mean, finally, make sure you go over to the YouTube channel and subscribe over there as well. So you don't miss more videos about races coming up in the future. I got a lot coming, man. And uh, we're going to talk about that in the next podcast. So that is the end of this episode. In this, the next episode, we're probably going to talk about Vermont because that's the next race I have on my calendar that I am totally unprepared for. So we're, we're, you're going to either get to witness me blowing up and not succeeding at this race or you're gonna see me uh do well which seems unlikely at this point i guess i should have some confidence about that okay i gotta go now i got a big day ahead of me here (laughs) i will see you next week thanks everybody bye